You're listening to Around Comics, episode 146. Thank you for listening to another Monday edition of Around Comics, the comic culture podcast. I'm Christopher Neesman, and I'll be your guide for the next hour of comfort news, information, and entertainment. Coming up on this episode, it is our Halloween edition, so instead of a feature interview this week, we did something a little special. The uh, Around Comics players got together and did a dramatic interpretation of a classic EC horror comic, so that is coming up in just a couple moments. We also get you ready for the week ahead with new trade paperback and single issue releases. Jeremy Mullins and Jarrett Williams check in with manga and webcomic recommendations. We have emails from the dark side. Will Piper talks DVDs. Tom Caters is back as the answer man. We check in on sales and market trends with the Mayo Report. I had a chance to go to the 24-hour comic book day event a couple weeks ago, so you'll hear from some of the artists that were involved with that in South Bend, Indiana. All of that and more is next on Around Comics. This episode of Around Comics is brought to you by Borders. Sink your teeth into the story that introduced the world to Anita Blake, Vampire Hunter. Get your copy of Guilty Pleasures by Laurel K. Hamilton at your local Borders. Borders is your home for the tastiest fantasy novels. Find a store near you at BordersStores.com. Welcome back to another exciting edition of Longbox Theater. I'm your host, Reginald Crabapple, and this evening, the Around Comics players will be presenting a classic tale of terror from EC Comics' Vault of Horror, entitled Voodoo Death. This story was originally presented by Bill Gaines and L. Feldstein, with art by Johnny Craig and colors by Marie Severin. I hope you enjoy this terrific tale, and happy Halloween. to see your eager faces leering at me again in expectation. Well, you won't be disappointed, I assure you. From my private collection of hair razors, I've selected this story for your hair enjoyment. I call it Voodoo Death. <laughs> Ever read uh, travel folders? You know, those pamphlets that tell you about the glorious wonders and beauties of the West Indies? 
palm trees, moonlight on the ocean, etc., etc. <laughs> Strange, isn't it, that they never mention the other interesting sights. Sights that tourists are not to see. Sights like a voodoo ritual. Jay, we're almost there. Confounded, Bill. I don't like this one bit. Almost wish we'd never come to Haiti. Haiti, island of beauty, serenity. Haiti, island of legends, mystery. Jay, look, look there. We're just in time. For Pete's sake, Bill, shut up or they'll hear us. Bill, let's get out of here. Those natives catch us watching their ritual, they all... Bill, I know! I know! Keep quiet, will you? What are you doing? A native was shot to death in town today. They're working over him now. As they watch the dancers frenzy, the high priestess places a doll beside the form of the corpse. The voodoo drums beat louder, and the high priestess bends over the body. The natives close in around her, watching her. Sierra, what's she doing? I don't know. I, I, I can't see her. Minutes later, the chanting, screaming natives withdraw, leaving the priestess standing over the body and the doll. Now there is an expectant silence. Then, the dead native stirs, his eyes open, glassy and empty, and he rises. The doll stands upright, and then darts away into the jungle. Bill! The doll! The, the dead man! He's alive! Shut he, up! Shut up, you damn fool! They'll hear you! It's too late! They've seen us! Run! Bill! They caught me! Help! Bill! Come back! Bill races madly back to the hotel and anxiously paces the floor in terror. As dawn breaks and Jay fails to appear, he begins to frantically pack his valise. Suddenly, the door opens. Jay! Jay, thank heaven you're okay. I, I was worried sick over you, but you're alright. You escaped! Voodoo doll. Zo zombie. You're exhausted, but a good night's sleep will fix you up. Lie down. As soon as I finish packing your things, we're leaving this island. We're going home. The two friends leave for New York on the next boat. Two days of complete rest have apparently settled Jay's nerves. And the frightful ordeal in Haiti is almost forgotten by them both. But one night, Bill enters his stateroom. What? What's that on my bunk? A doll? The natives sent a doll after me. It's starting to move. Gotta get rid of it. The, the porthole. Jay, Jay, come here quickly. Bill, what's the matter? A uh, voodoo doll on my bunk. It, it moved. Voodoo doll? Bill, are you certain? Uh, yes, I, I threw it out the porthole. The natives sent it after me. It, it had a long needle in its hands. <laughs> You must have been seeing things, Bill. Your eyes are playing tricks. You think so? Maybe, maybe you're right. It, it certainly is fantastic enough.
<laughs> Bill is completely unnerved. But by the time they reach New York, he is certain the wicked voodoo doll has been destroyed. <laughs> One night, there is a knock on the door of the apartment he shares with Jay. Yes? Uh, why, that's odd. No one here. Just a package. Strange. No return address. No postage. I wonder what's in it. Curious, Bill hastily rips the package open. And then, hands tremble. His mouth drops wide open as he stares at the contents. The voodoo doll! Frightened terribly, Bill dashes from the room. Then he stops. I threw it in the fire. The flames will destroy it, but maybe... It came back when I threw it out the porthole. It can move. It might get away. I, I better go back. Better make sure. There's the box, the package, but where's the doll? It's gone! Gone somewhere in this room, hiding, waiting to pounce on me, waiting to stab me with, with that needle. Help! Help! Bill? What the devil are you screaming about? Jay, thank heaven you've come. The doll's back. It wants to kill me. Why don't they leave me alone? Why do they want to kill me? I'll tell you why, Bill. Because you witness a sacred voodoo ritual. For that, you must die. How can you be so calm when... <laughs> I have nothing to worry about, Bill. For I'm already... Dead! What? You're dead? Yes, and soon you'll die. Look above you, Bill! No! Stop! Take it off me! That needle! Ow! Hey, it jammed me, it jammed me, and then it went limp. Ow! It didn't kill me. Hey, my neck. Getting numb. It hurts. Yes. The needle was poisoned. Soon your whole body will hurt, and then you'll be dead. And I am dead! Yes, I'm dead. The natives killed me that night. They killed me and brought me back to life. Like they did to that dead native. They sent me to you with that voodoo doll to punish you. The doll has done its job. And when you die, I will cease to exist also. For I'm a zombie. You're dead. And I'll be dead. In a moment. This doll, it killed me. This wicked, vicious voodoo doll. I'll destroy it. Rip it to shreds. Rip it. Tear it. What's this? Bill's rage suddenly ceases. A scream strangles in his throat as he stares down at what his hand holds. Good lord, it, it's a heart. A human heart! Yes, Bill. That's how they gave it life. They gave the doll a heart. My heart! <laughs> Such joy! Now wasn't that heart-rending? Of course, Jay could have told Bill what happened, but I guess he just didn't have the heart. Well, Bill got the point! <laughs> In the cutting climax to this throbbing tale, I hope I'll be seeing you in my own magazine, The Vault of Horror. Until then, fiends, be of stout heart! <laughs> Hey.
and we certainly had a fun time doing the dramatic interpretation of Voodoo Death. So I uh, hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we enjoyed putting it together. And uh, if, if you did like it and you'd like to hear more uh, dramatic reenactments of classic comics, let us know. I think it's something that, that we would like to do more of in the future. And speaking about the future... It's time to get you ready for the week ahead with new single issue and trade paperback releases. To get us started, here is Chris Marshall of the Collected Comics Library. He's going to let us know everything that is coming out collected this week. Alrighty, coming out Halloween Day. That's right, a lot of spooky titles coming out October 31st. Starting off with IDW's The Complete 30 Days of Night Trilogy by Steve Niles and Ben Templesmith. This, of course, is the slipcased hardcover for 100 bucks. This will collect the original 30 Days of Night, along with Dark Days and Return to Borrow. Each copy comes with a signed and numbered tip-in plate signed by Niles and Templesmith, and it'll be 344 pages just in time for the movie that is out in theaters right now. Let's move over to DC, and we've got Showcase Presents Teen Titans Volume 2, collecting their Silver Age adventures. We also have The Creeper, Welcome to Creeperville, collecting The Creeper 1 through 6 from earlier in the year. The Flash Wonderland trade paperback, collecting Flash 164 through 169. And moving over to Marvel, we've got Marvel Strange Tales Volume 1. This is the variant number 85 in the set. This collects Strange Tales 1 through 10, and this is part of their Atlas Era Masterworks. Also from Marvel, Wolverine Evolution, the premiere hardcover, the color version, and the black and white version, and the Essential Werewolf by Night Volume 2, and also Annihilation Book 2, the trade paperback. Also a great series that is collected in trade now, the Immortal Iron Fist Volume 1, the last Iron Fist story. I know Chris and everybody at Around Comics really, really enjoy this story, and if you're not reading it, well, you should be. Moving over to Image, we've got Spawn Armageddon, the complete collection. This collects Spawn 150 through 163. Also expected out is Spawn the New Flesh, collecting Spawn 166 through 169. Not sure why issues 164 and 165 are excluded from both of these collections. Kind of strange. Also out is Madman Volume 2, the trade paperback. This is collecting Madman Comics 1 through 11. It is priced at $18. Also expected out is a pair of Witchblade books, Witchblade the Compendium Volume 2 The Trade, which collects Witchblade 51 through 100. A very popular series, all those compendiums. And also Witchblade the Compendium Volume 1. This is a limited edition hardcover for $100. Last but not least on the list this week is a pair of Beowulf books. The first one is from Marcosia. And it is Beowulf, the graphic novel. The hardcover is for 13 and the trade is for $9. This one's written by Stephen L. Stern and art by Christopher Steiniger. This graphic novel captures the power and the majesty of the greatest sword and sorcery hero of them all. The second one on the list this week is the movie version of Beowulf. And it is actually called Beowulf the Movie, and it is a softcover. Now, if you didn't know, Neil Gaiman did the screenplay for the movie version. This book by IDW is adapted by Chris Riel with art by Gabriel Rodriguez, and it is $18. All in all, a lot of good books coming out this Halloween Wednesday, so go out and buy a trade. 
Four Around Comics. I'm Chris Marshall, Collected Comics Library Podcast. Chris Marshall is the host of the Collected Comics Library Podcast. Find the podcast, release schedules, and checklists for everything collected at CollectedComicsLibrary.com. Now let's take a look at some of the highlights in single issues that will be hitting comic shops this Wednesday. Starting out with Dark Horse, we have the Rick Remender written and Eric Wynn drawn Tales of the Fear Agent 12 Steps in One One-Shot. Now, what appears to be a very strong week for DC, we start off with Action Comics number 858. This is the first in the Legion storyline where uh, Gary Frank is coming on board. It's, uh, of course, written by Jeff Johns. Next up is Batman number 670. This is written by Grant Morrison and penciled by Chicago and Tony Daniels. This is the beginning of the return of Ra's al Ghul. If you're buying every countdown title, this will be a heavy week for you. In addition to the regular countdown to Final Crisis number 26, you also have Countdown to Adventure number 3 of 8, Countdown to Mystery number 2 of 8, as well as Countdown, Ward Havoc, and The Extremist number 1 of 6. So it is definitely turning into Countdown to an Emptier Wallet. If you're a fan of Greg Rucka or The Question, or both, like I am, you've been looking forward to The Crime Bible. Well, this is your week as The Crime Bible, The Five Lessons of Blood, number one of five, debuts. We also have the DC Infinite Halloween special, uh, Death of the New Gods, number two of eight, as uh, Jim Starlin continues his house cleaning of the new gods. And Around Comics' favorite Jack of Fables is out this week with number 16, as well as the Justice Society of America number 10, which begins the Kingdom Come storyline. If you heard last week's episode with Christos Gage, he told us a little bit about Wildstorm Armageddon, and this week sees the release of Midnighter Armageddon number 1. Uh, also coming out this week and wrapping up our DC previews are uh, Superman Confidential number 8. And uh, this is my favorite Superman title and we'll see how Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray take over the uh, formerly Darwin Cook pen Superman title. Coming out from Image Comics this week are The Brit number 3. Uh, Dynamo 5, number 8, which, if you've not read Dynamo 5, it is an uh, outstanding action-adventure superhero series. I uh, picked up the trade for $9.99, and, and it is a can't-miss uh, superhero story, so check that out if you haven't already. Uh, also coming out are uh, True Story, Swear to God, the Image Edition, number 9. Wasteland number 13 from Oni Press comes out this week. And going over to the House of Ideas and Marvel, it appears to be a pretty thin week. We have Annihilation Conquest Quasar, number 4 of 4. Uh, Daredevil Annual, number 1. Iron Man, number 23. Mythos, Fantastic Four, which uh, I was a fan of the Mythos X-Men, which I thought was one, one of the better X-Men stories that I've read in recent memory. We also have the uh, Scotty Young drawn New X-Men, number 43. And if you're interested in the next X-Event, it appears that the X-Men Messiah Complex gets kicked off this week with a one-shot. So that will take care of our previews of single issues coming out this week. Hopefully you will find lots of good stuff at the comic shop.
Here's Jeremy Mullins to tell us about the best and brightest in the world of webcomics. Instead of just recommending one webcomic today, I'd like to recommend three, all of which can be found in the Morning Improv section at scottmcleod.com. Many of you may recognize the name. McLeod is one of sequential art's leading theorists and scholars, famous for his groundbreaking book, Understanding Comics, and the following volumes, Reinventing Comics and Making Comics. The first of his works that I'd like you all to check out is entitled, Whose Mind Is It Anyway? It's number 25 and the top feature in the Morning Improv section. This is a moving but very funny story of a homeless man just trying to keep the voices in his head quiet long enough to talk to a lady on a park bench. As it turns out, the lady may have problems of her own, but this is an endearing story of social commentary, and in my opinion, one of McLeod's best. He also nails accents. The bum is from Boston, the lady is from New York, and he scripts both accents distinctly and accurately. It's pretty impressive. The second comic I'd like to recommend is Meadow of the Damned, number 7 in McLeod's Morning Improv. This is a story about three mediocre sinners, a bad grocery store manager, a sitcom writer, and a telemarketer who meet randomly in this grassy meadow in the afterworld. They're doomed to dwell under the second assistant to the regional manager of Hellish Affairs for all eternity. We discover there's no HBO in Hell. The third feature I'd like to recommend is A Bucket Full of Kittens, number 24 in the Morning Improv list. In this story, McLeod uses a bucket of cute angry kittens as a metaphor for George Bush's Mideast policy post 9-11. If you don't believe me, check it out. ScottMcLeod.com. I'll spell it S-C-O-T-T-M-C-C-L-O-U-D.com. Once you're there, click on the online comics section at the top and find all of these features in the morning improv segment. For Around Comics, I'm Jeremy W. Mullins. Jeremy Mullins is a professor of sequential art at the Savannah College of Art and Design. You can find more about the school and their programs of study at www.scad.edu. So I thought I'd help them out a little and read a few of your emails. 
Our first one is from Stephen Bowie. Stephen wrote, Why can't comics be made pocket-sized? I travel on the train a lot and don't want to lug a bag full of comics to bars or my girlfriends. Let's be serious for a moment, shall we, Stephen? I don't think a type of guy like you who's so concerned and obsessed with pocket-sized comic books has to worry so much about whether your girlfriend is going to let you bring them over to her place. Really now. Next up is Chris Taylor. He said, After the latest issue of New Avengers, where they brought back my favorite character, Deathlock, only to have him in a, a one-page scene which their only conclusion is he was destroyed, does this mean this will be the last of Deathlock? I was hoping he would get his own spin-off, mini-series, or possibly added to the roster of the New Avengers. Chris, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. Not every character deserves his own book. I mean, if we gave every crappy cyborg Robocop wannabe his own miniseries, there'd be no room on the shelves for good books, like Death of the New Gods. <laughs> Next up is Brian Dunn, who wrote, Do you think the major running theme of Marvel Comics over the last few years is Tony Stark is an asshole? Listen, Brian, just because a guy is willing to do what it takes to make the world a better place, that doesn't make him a bad guy. I know it's tough difficult for a tree-hugging slacker like you to understand, but sometimes the world needs a guy to take charge and tell other little sheep like you where to stand in line. Otherwise, nothing would ever get done, and if we left it in your pink little soft hands, well, heaven forbid. And finally, we have Noir Guy, who uh, wrote, My small town got a comic shop in the last six months. Prior to that, the only shop worth going to was some distance away. Since the local shop is small, there isn't a huge selection, really. Only older books, and most of the new stock is Marvel, DC, superhero books, none of which I read. While I have been ordering stuff from PVs through the store, it's been coming in less and less frequently. I'll stop down every other week, and the owner won't have picked up anything from the larger store he buys through, and I find myself feeling like a cheating spouse as I start fantasizing about trips to the larger stores. That's over an hour away. The honeymoon is over. Has anyone on the panel had to divorce their LCS because they weren't getting in their books on a timely manner or for other reasons? Noir guy, I feel your pain. I once had a very similar incident at my LCS, Hangor's Comic Terrarium. For eons, Hangor was a fantastic shop owner. I always got my books back and boarded, of course. He gave me a terrific discount and was always suggesting new titles for me to check out. Then one day, things went downhill. Hangor started screwing up the orders. My police got all messed up. I started missing key issues of complete runs, and he decided to discontinue the free bag and board policy. What was I to do? So I shot him in the face with an acid pot and fed him to my cyber pack. As it turns out, Hangor was having some marital problems. His wife left him for another man, and it sent him into a fit of depression and alcohol abuse, which led to the decline in his service. I suppose I could have just moved on to another shop easily enough, but don't bring your love life to the office, I always say. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Darkside. I hope you enjoyed my mailbag.
When he's not writing the continuing adventures of Catwoman, Will Piper is a DVD and movie reviewer for the Rockford Register Star. Here's Will to tell us about what's happening in DVDs. This week's big release is Spider-Man 3, the summer sequel that costs more than a quarter billion dollars and still managed to disappoint Spider-Man fans and movie fans alike. With Sandman, Venom, and Harry Osborn in a goblin suit, plus the arrival of Gwen Stacy and the continued presence of Mary Jane Watson, there was barely any room for Spidey. My recommendation for Spider-Man 4? Bring on the rhino, because there's nothing more fun than watching a fat guy who runs fast wearing a rhino suit. Also out this week is a special pick for all the David Lynch haters in the Round Comics group, the Twin Peaks Gold Box, which contains both seasons of Lynch's surreal TV series from the early 90s, plus the European movie version and the original TV pilot. Lynch geeks, like yours truly, know the pilot's never been on DVD before, so look for a lot of us to rush out and buy a series we never really understood in the first place. Damn fine stuff, though. Damn fine. This week's cult movie pick is Happiness of the Katakuris. It's from Takashi Miki, the same offbeat Japanese director who created such examples of extreme cinema as Audition, Visitor Q, and Ichi the Killer. This movie, though, is a kinder, gentler film, telling the warm-hearted story of a loving family who tried their luck at opening a small hotel in the mountains. Things get off to a bad start when their first guest commits suicide, and then their second guest, a sumo wrestler, continues the deadly trend by dying during sex. Soon the family is bearing bodies as fast as they're checking in guests. Sound intriguing? Have I mentioned it's also a musical? Or that, near the end, the entire film switches to claymation? Miki's usually known for making movies so violent you can barely watch them. Happiness of the Katakuris is something else. It's easy to watch. In fact, it's a lot of fun. But it's very, very hard to believe. That's the week's DVD rundown, and I'm Will Pfeiffer for Around Comics. You can find Will's written reviews at the Rockford Register Star by going to go.rrstar.com and visiting the entertainment section. You can also visit Will's blog at willpiper.com. Good morning. You have questions. I have answers. Let's get to it. Uh, just to give you the setting of where I am, as I do this now, I enjoy it. I think it's my favorite part. I'm in my storage room in the basement of my apartment building at 7 a.m. on a Saturday. I'm surrounded by a couple long, you know, a couple, uh, nine long boxes. It smells like old newspaper and desperation in this place. The only thing in my storage room is these long boxes and this laundry bag filled with uh, sweaters that I owned in college. Because uh, I took a lot of pride in owning a lot of fine sweaters at some point. Uh, that uh, when I was I was a little bit thinner back then, so I looked good in the sweaters. And uh, <laughs> right now I'm looking at both of them and I'm thinking which was the, which was the bigger loss overall? Which which did I waste more time doing? And uh, it's going to be the sweaters because the books I can read over and over again. The sweaters I'll never ever look good again in. So before we get to the question, though, I do want to uh, give a shout-out to my friend Justin, who wore a fantastic Halloween costume this evening that blew my mind. He was wearing a carved pumpkin on his head. And until you've been on a dance floor with a man wearing a carved pumpkin dancing to Remix to Ignition by R. Kelly, you don't know the true meaning of terror. I don't think I'm ever going to sleep again. I think there's a pretty good chance I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night tomorrow screaming 
is that his giant bulbousy pumpkin head staring at me with our Kelly lyrics blasting at me. So we're going to get, now that I've done that, now I've taken care of all the housekeeping in my uh, my frantic mind, we're going to get to the question. So uh, this question this week, and I'm, I'm a bit embarrassed, and I'm, I'm going to apologize to a lot of people because uh, this guy's already actually asked a question, but I didn't realize that when I started thinking about this question. Because what I did tonight was, before I went out, uh, before I went to work, I read his question and I thought about it because I want to. I want to formulate an answer. I want to think of good jokes. I want to think of good quips. I want to, you know, get in everyone. You know, get an idea of what I'm doing. And then I realized I answered his question last week. He did the Hawkman question. So I, I apologize. I'm going to get to everyone's question. I'm going to do a lightning round next week where I'm going to answer everyone's questions, which means your questions are going to be answered in the most horrible, shitty way, but it will get answered. So I'm going to get to this question right now from Villainy. Apologies to everyone else. He asks, if DC's Millennium Crossover sucks so much, why is Marvel copying it? Interesting question. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with DC's Millennium Crossover, it was a late 80s, early 90s series by Stephen Lahart and Joe Stanton. I, I don't have them in front of me, so I could be wrong about that. Uh, the main gist of the storyline is that the Owens, the uh, the uh, little blue guys in charge of the Green Lanterns, they go off to go have sex, and they have to uh, pick new people to take it over. They, so they pick a bunch of guys, people from Earth, um, you know, average people. The main series really sucked a lot. There's a lot of weird stereotypes and really corny writing. The tie-ins, though, were actually interesting in the fact that every single DC character had um, someone that was tied into their story that was really a Manhunter. Because the Manhunters were trying to stop this next level of Guardians from coming up. So every character had someone close to them that was actually a secret agent. Uh, which, eh, I mean, generally, yeah. I would say it, it holds a lot of things similar to the Skrull storyline, but to be honest, uh, the idea of secret agents hiding within plain sight is not new to fiction. So I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to say that someone's copying somebody else because I mean that's one of the oldest sort of storylines ever in fiction. Uh, I love actually what Bendis has done with uh, with the Skrull. Idea. I think he's taken that good part out of that Millennium story, if you want to characterize it as that, and he's expanded it to make it the whole story, which I think is brilliant, if you're going to look at that. This, this is such a compelling idea. Uh, because of the sense of, we read these stories, and they're they're fictional, and we buy into them. But then all of a sudden, someone will twist the idea on you. And all of a sudden... What you read isn't necessarily what you think it is, which I love when I read a story. I love when someone can change the literal piece of art around on me and say what you read and what you thought isn't really what was going on, but not lying to you, because he says there's clues within the scroll storyline, and I can see how people might be sort of angry about that. But I love it. I love when anyone can do that to me. I love when anyone can, can uh, flip the switch on me. And I think that's the beauty of comic books as well, is that 
we have a, a medium that allows you to to sort of play tricks on us, the audience, which I love. I love I love the carnival barker atmosphere. So I love getting that sort of you know trickery played upon me. And call me crazy. I'm sure people will. I'm sure people. Some people will hate whoever turns out to be a scroll. I, I love it, and I think it's a fantastic story idea. So, give me your questions. I'll stay up all night. I'll stay up for 24 hours. I'll answer them. I'll sit in my storage room. I mean, which is actually quite an interesting idea. I mean, we were talking about getting the you know the story flipped on you. I may not be in my storage room. It may not be 7 a.m. I mean, think about that. Think if you bought into what I said earlier. Maybe I'm lying. Maybe I made it up. Maybe I, uh, I'm doing it for a dramatic effect. Maybe right now I'm sitting on you know, a throne made out of $20 bills, sipping a, you know, a fine glass of Gatorade because I'm, I'm parched. And it's really like 2 in the afternoon on Sunday. You don't know. I know what happened. You don't. I mean that's the that's the beauty of storytelling. So now that I've probably pissed off some people, I'm gonna say goodnight. I'm gonna ask you to send questions. You can send them to Tom at Around Comics. I'll try and answer them. I will know I will not answer any more questions from Villain E. He got two in a row. I feel bad. But we'll move on. So keep sending them to me, I'll get the I'll eventually get to your question. Good night. Twice a month, John Mayo breaks down sales numbers and market trends to give us a more informed idea of what's happening on the business side of comics. This week, John takes a look at the numbers inside Diamond's Top 300. Here is a breakdown of the sales of the Top 300 comics reported by Diamond for September 2007, based on what Diamond shipped to retailers during the month. The estimated total volume of the list was 6,693,000 comics, which is down by 994,000 copies from the previous month and up by 84,000 copies from September 2006. At full cover price, this works out to an estimated value of $21,503,000, which is a decrease of $3,120,000 from the previous month and an increase of $1,060,000 from September 2006. The publisher with the largest percentage of the top 300 comics for September was Marvel Comics with 45.78% of the total units sold and 82 items on the list. The top selling item for Marvel Comics was World War Hulk number 4 in slot 1 with an estimated 149,000 copies. This was down 8,000 copies from the estimated total reported sales in the previous issue. DC Comics had the second highest total number of units with 2,652,000 copies, accounting for 39.63% of the total top comics sold in September. They did this with 93 different items on the list. The top selling item for DC Comics was Justice League of America number 13 in rank 3 with an estimated 119,000 copies down 12,000 copies from the estimated total reported sales of the previous issue. Dark Horse came in with the third highest piece of the pie with 4.79% of the total units sold and had 21 different items on the list. 
The top selling item for Dark Horse was Buffy the Vampire Slayer number 6 in rank 8, with an estimated 96,500 copies, a decrease of 7,400 units. This month, the title with the biggest increase in sales over the previous issue was Amazing Spider-Man number 544, and slot 2, which gained an estimated 39,700 units, resulting in an estimated 146,200 copies sold. For Around Comics, I'm John Mayo. John Mayo writes the Mayo Report, 2007-08 Top Comics each month, which examines the sales estimates and market trends for comic book, graphic novels, and collected editions. He's also the host of the Comic Book Page podcast. You can find his articles at comicbookresources.com and his podcast and sales estimate charts at comicbookpage.com. Around Comics is proud to help support the Hero Initiative. Hero creates a financial safety net for yesterday's creators who need emergency medical aid, financial support for essentials of life, and an avenue back into paying work. It's a chance for all of us to give back something to the people who have given us so much enjoyment. For more information, visit heroinitiative.org or call 310-909-7809. Calculations are correct. When this baby hits 88 miles per hour, you're gonna see some serious shit. My flow's hit you at straight 88 miles per hour. That's enough to generate 1.21 gigawatts, son. And I'm on the run from the Libyans. It was a straight jack move for plutonium. And when they van rolls up, it's pandemonium. 1.18 a.m. at Twin Pines Mall is when I can pinpoint my total downfall. Now they say Doc Brown, he was a lonely man. But his time machine was a DeLorean. He said, you're gonna go back. You gotta do it in style. Or take your ass on back down to 8 miles. My Life is flashing before my eyes And the bullets is flying across the skies They got my homie talking, yo, he ain't gonna make it The Libyans is coming back around, I gotta take it Jam in the keys and I slam it in the gear Stomp the gas to get the fuck out of here And if this wasn't enough of a disaster Libyans on my tail, I'm going faster and faster Happen to be plutonium in the flux capacitor And now I'm headed back to 55 with no passenger I wish that I had packed myself a travel kit Cause I was right at 88 and saw some serious shit I roll up quick and I bust into a farm and I'm like, hey, sorry about your barn. About this time I had the realization that it was 55 in the U.S. nation. Now I gotta find out what the fuck I'm facing without destroying history in the making. Gotta find some time to collect my thoughts. So I dip into a diner and analyze my plots. A guy walks up, can I take your order? I must have sounded like I had a mental disorder. He said, I can't give you a Pepsi free. You gotta pay for that shit, see? Just about then, a man walks by, and he's like, yo, I'm talking to you, McFly. I try to hold back a reaction that's knee-jerk, and Biff is like, yo, McFly, where's my homework? Don't trip me around, or I'll be fighting. How's it gonna look, my homework in your handwriting? So I dip out of the diner, my coffee I swallow, keep a low profile, my father I follow when I find him. He's peeping on my mom in a tree, like hidden camera sluts.mpg. He falls into the street, to my disdain, so I tackle him out of the way, like ESPN. So I'm hit by a car and I gotta sustain. Grams bust out, they jump in front of my car again. I don't yet know it, but I'm not in 
and luck Saving my dad has made the timeline totally fucked I wake up in a room, am I going insane? A hot slut says howdy, my name is Lorraine I'm like, what the fuck, is this my mom? It definitely is, and she is coming on strong It's been a common theme, but I made it out alive Now I'm headed on over to Riverside Drive Gotta meet the doc, Emmett Brown And find out what's really going on in this town You could believe me, if you're so inclined Doc opens up the door and tries to read my mind I said I'm from the future, I know it sounds demented I came here in a time machine that you invented And now it's come down to staying alive I gotta get back to 1985 Eventually I managed to convince the old man And we head out to where I hid the DeLorean I hook up the camera from the video shoot And we see this old doc in a radiation suit He says, radiation suit, of course Because of the fallout from the atomic wars We keep moving on and he's like, great Scott 1.21 gigawatts The proposition at hand is very frightening For that kind of power, we'd need a bolt of lightning You never know when or where it's gonna strike Just like my devastating flows on the mic It might have seemed as if the fates had conspired Because I happen to have information on a flyer Now I just have to wait till Saturday So I can chill out and smoke weed every day It might seem sad, but I'm sorry to say The story just doesn't happen to end that way I say the fact bears repeating that I haven't interfered with my parents' first meeting. Gotta lay low and make this right so my parents can hook up at the dance at night. But I run into some problems in this quest cause my dad is a total idiot at best. How can I get my mom to give him a chance so they can hook up at the undersea dance? The only way I can get rid of all this friction is to use a little bit of science fiction. Break into his house and scare him with Van Halen. I tell from this dance you better not be bailing. The long story short, it worked out in the end, and my mom's honor he did defend. Turns out that Biff was out of luck, ran his brand new car into a manure truck. In the end, I found out at last that my mom's a drunken slut who takes it in the ass, and all of Biff's homies, I found out that they were too pussy to mess with those addicts of reefer. And at the dance, I rocked everybody, played guitar until my hands were bloody. Lightning stuck the tower, four after ten, and I made it back to the future again. A letter from Spider Baby. Hi, Tom. I've been stuck in the cesspool of New Jersey for the last umpteen years. It stinks, and I'm looking for help. I was adopted by a family of gypsies that have decided to settle here. They tell me that Elizabeth, New Jersey, is the closest they can find in this country to the slums of Latvia. They touch me in inappropriate ways. Help me, please. I'm forced to take the below alias. T.J. Tunnington. And here's Jarrett Williams with this week's manga recommendation. Hey guys, this is Jarrett Williams, and on this week's manga in review, I'll be talking about Osama Tezuka's Apollo Song, recently released by Vertical Inc., publishing back in June of this year. Now, Tezuka is probably best known for his works, of course, Astro Boy and Kimba the White Lion. Um, the list goes on. He created nearly 150,000 pages of manga in his lifetime. But what I really appreciate about Paolo's songs is how it stands apart from those other titles. To give you a quick synopsis, our story pretty much revolves around this kid named Chikiyashi Shogo, whose mom uh, was pretty much a whore growing up, and she brought all of these different guys home. 
So basically now as a teenager, Shogo has all these issues of love. So if he sees these animals playing together, he gets pissed off and kills them. Or if he sees you know, a couple holding hands, he gets pissed off and tries to kill them. He has all of these issues because of what his mom did. So now he's in a, this mental institute where he's been given shock therapy to hopefully cure him of these issues by this guy named Dr. Inoki. Well, this shock therapy pretty much forces... Um, Shogo to have these hallucinations where he encounters the goddess of love and she's saying you know what because of all the crap you're doing to people you're gonna pretty much fall in love with somebody and then watch them die over and over and over again and it makes for a pretty good read uh, Shogo ends up going to Hitler's time where he falls in love with this girl and watches her die and it's all epic and then it happens again in the future and then it happens again on this island full of animals you know in Tezuka fashion he takes you you know across different generations different um places and it makes for a very entertaining read highlights include some extremely cinematic uh camera angles and splash panels by Tezuka you have stylistically some of his better work in terms of like contrast lighting he plays a lot around too with the human figure and if you're up for seeing a lot of topless girls run around the comic they're all over the place in this one this comic was done at you know the pinnacle of when manga really started exploring sexuality in the 1970s and I also think it's you know really cool how vertical even put this book out you know following buddha um tezuka sometimes is given a bad rap especially uh in a lot of circles i hear now as far as you know his his very spooky clean stories such as astro boy but i mean this story really really you know pushes the limits and it's not what you would normally expect from him so you know, congrats to Vertical for putting this book out and sharing this with us, and hopefully this is just the beginning of more books and stories by Tezuka to even come to American shores. Um, there are still so many that have yet to be translated. So, mad props to Vertical for just getting this out there to us. Um, it's 1995. There's a great cover by Chip Kid on it, too, that I have to throw in there before I'm done. Um, really, really awesome layout. Yellow and blue. You can't miss this book. And again, at 544 pages, you definitely have um, some great reading ahead. Definitely check it out. Apollo Song by Sama Tezuka. Jarrett Williams is a graduate student at the Savannah College of Art and Design. When he's not reviewing or reading manga, he's working on his webcomic, which you can find at LunarBoyLand.com. Available for order right now from Ape Entertainment is The Fablewood Anthology, Volume 1. This beautiful 144-page original graphic novel contains 13 complete fantasy stories. From the sword and sorcery to Slice of Life that features the creations of Ryan Otley, artist of Invincible and Manny Tremblay, flight alumni J.P.A. Honan and Sarah Mencina, and Chris Studebaker with his Day Prize-nominated tale, which Dave Sim called Evocative, Austere, and Expressionistic. For previews of Fablewood Anthology and tons of other ape goodness, visit our friends at www.apecomics.com. A couple weeks ago, I had the pleasure of going over to South Bend, Indiana and taking in part of the 24-hour comic book day event. 
Now, if you're unfamiliar with what the 24-hour comic book day is, uh, basically it is one 24-hour period where people get together in, in groups at a venue or people are welcome to play along at home and create a complete 24-page comic book in one day. And the rules are that one person and only one person must write, draw, ink, and letter a complete comic book in that 24-hour period. The 24-hour comic and 24-hour comic book day event is the brainchild of Scott McCloud of uh, Understanding Comics fame. If you'd like a full rundown on the history of 24-hour comic book day and everything that goes into it, you can go to uh, 24hourcomics.com, and that's uh, the numerals 24hourcomics.com, and it has uh, a lot of information on what the actual event is. But uh, for this, I, I had the chance to go to buymetoys.com for the second year in a row, and they're located in South Bend, Indiana, and I just happened to be in town during the 24-hour comic book day event and was able to drop by and talk with several of the people that were doing their 24-hour day comics. Here's a couple conversations from the 24-hour comic book day event. Hi, my name is Casey Hine. Uh, my wife and I own BuyMeToys.com. You uh, actually work on Oz Wonderland Chronicles, correct? That's my night job. And are you the organizer for the for the South Bend uh, 24-hour comic book day? I may have to give a little bit more credit to Kelly on that one, my wife. But uh, I'm the one that gets to stay here all night with these guys. And you're you're the cheerleader. Yes, yes. That was my official designation last year, and this year I've been uh, trying my best, I guess. But tell us a little bit about 24-hour comic book day. What the ground rules are. You do remember it's 6 o'clock in the morning, right? Uh, the ground rules are uh, trying to do this without any pre, pre-planning at all, which is probably easier said than done. Um, they're supposed to come in, write it, draw it, ink it, script it, 24 pages in 24 hours. Is there a limit on the page size? Can people come in and do um, uh, four inch by five inch pages or do they have to be standard boards? It can be whatever size, as far as I know, that it, that you want it to be. Obviously, if you're working with, if you're drawing at the size that it's going to theoretically reproduce at, you're probably saving yourself some time than trying to draw it in a normal comic, you know, format. But. Now, do do you get surprised by um, the complexity of the stories, or or the the quality of the stories that can be done in 24 hours? Yeah, yeah. Actually, we've we've always had really top-notch work come out of these. Um, they don't always get finished, unfortunately, uh, in the 24 hours, but usually the guys will go back and complete them if they don't get them done in time. So usually by the first four or five hours when they're on page two or something like that, they've, they realize they either have to simplify it a little bit or uh, start moving a little bit faster. So Now, how many years has uh, Buy Me Toys been, been hosting the 24-hour comic book day? We were actually talking about that a while back. Is it four? Four years that they've officially been doing the, the challenge to everybody. So, and, and you've got it. You've got it down. You've got the, uh, the the food table, the drink table, lots of you know cushy chairs to make it uh, make it comfortable. I'm sure a lot of the people that uh, that uh, worked in in lesser circumstances, uh, if they saw this, would be pretty jealous. You guys do a nice job of making things comfortable for people. 
Well, we try anyways, try to give everyone enough space to work, and they still somehow huddle around each other pretty tight, even though we've got plenty of extra tables tonight, but that's all right. Everyone's had a good time, I think. Thank you very much. Not a problem. Um, Gavin Smith. And uh, Gavin, what is what? What's the concept behind your twenty-four hour comic? Well, uh, it's mostly related to my job. I deliver a Chicago Tribune, New York Times, uh, every night for pretty much from like midnight to six thirty a.m. And uh, what I'm doing for my twenty-four hour comic is taking a bunch of random things that have happened and exaggerating them a little bit, but uh, working them into all one crazy night of uh, delivering papers. So it's uh, semi-autobiographical. Yeah, semi, yeah. Okay. So uh, midnight to 6.30 a.m., so this is no big deal for you? No, not really. Uh, I mean, usually I'm sleeping all morning, but, you know, that was the challenge, waking up at 6 to get here, you know, because I drove from Kokomo to like two hours, so... Now, um, your keys to uh, to fighting off the drowsies while you're doing this? Um, we've actually had some uh, pretty entertaining talks. We've uh, had some movies going on in the background, uh, some good ones that we just talked about for a while, and some bad ones to make fun of and uh, kept ourselves entertained, talking to each other. It's good to do it in a group and keep each other motivated. So, best movie while you've been doing this? Hmm. Yeah, Last Man on Earth, probably. And worst movie? Uh, yeah, Last Man on Earth. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Andy Jewett? Yeah, Andy, uh, it is about 6.30, is it 6 o'clock in the morning? About 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, wh- how many pages uh, do you have done for your, your 24-hour comic? Uh, I've got 24 drawn and now I'm just trying to ink them all, so I don't know. We'll see. I might actually get close to done. I think I'm inking page ten right now. And you got uh, how many? It's uh, three hours. Three hours to go. Yeah. Uh, four. <laughs> okay, four hours to go, and uh, and fourteen pages to, to ink. <laughs> now, now, what was the what was the process that you that you used to do this? Was it uh, you know, a Marvel style where you basically just drew it out and, and plotted it, and now you're going to go back and and script it? Um, I I thumbnailed all the pages and basically had a script in mind while I was thumbnailing, and because uh, I figured that way, by the time you get to you know crunch time or whatever you want to call it the last hours then at least I wouldn't have to think about what I'm going to draw next you're just able to draw it that way now when you start a, a 24 hour comic book what is uh, what, what's your biggest key to being able to complete the task uh, just basically try really hard not to get distracted <laughs> by uh the people around you and the stuff that you're watching it's really i mean it's really fun we've had a really good time just hanging out and you know drawing comics and talking about comics and other stuff and but it can definitely slow you down if you're if you let it uh name is john colzar and john what is your 24-hour comic about um well basically i self-publish a book called wicked and every year that we've done this so far 
I have put my guys through the paces and pains of the 24-hour experience with me, and this year Wicket finally gets pissed and decides he's going to take the book over. So and then it all went to hell at some point in time, and I decided to get fun and start. Um, well, these two, Andy and Gavin, got pulled into it at one point in time, and right now I'm like working on having Gavin kill Andy after he <laughs> gets possessed by my main character Wicket but I also got wild and started just splattering ink across just to show Wicket who was boss since he you know wrestled the pen of doom from me at some point in time so I'm Jamie Hood and Jamie um, I'm looking at your book and it's like this fun cartoony uh, you know, medieval story What what is your story about my story's about a knight. He's kind of a dwarf knight. Everybody kind of makes fun of him and doesn't think that he can get the job done. But he's out to rescue the princess, just like always. So I've got a, a twist ending plan that, you know, will hopefully give it a fresh take on the, the whole knight body story out of it. Now we're, we're 21 hours in. When did, uh, when did fatigue start to set in for you? Actually, I hit a wall about one o'clock or so and I kind of had to battle through that but South Park helped a little bit <laughs> woke us up a little bit alright well JV it looks great at, uh, at, at Bessel are you gonna are you gonna get everything at least penciled yeah that's the plan alright well good luck thank you very much So there you go, a few conversations from the 24-hour comic book day event. And I'd just uh, like to say congratulations to not just everyone that completed their books, but everyone that took a part of the challenge, whether you completed your book or not. It's it's a heck of a challenge, and, uh, and it takes a lot of guts to, uh, to to go into this and lay down your creative ideas and and even attempt this. So, if you've uh, if you're if you're not an artist but you're interested in watching one of these or or dropping in on one, I, I highly suggest finding any of the 24-hour comic day venues in your area for next year and just drop them by to uh, to see how these folks go about trying to create a complete comic in a one-day period. So, once again, congratulations to everyone that took the challenge this year. We saw some amazing work at buymetoys.com, so I want to thank them for their hospitality. And that'll take care of another Monday edition of Around Comics, the Comic Culture Podcast. Make sure to come back on Thursday for Around Comics, the Comic Culture Roundtable. It's an informal and entertaining roundtable discussion about the world of comics and pop culture. You can visit us online at www.aroundcomics.com or you can contact the show via email at info at aroundcomics.com. You can also visit us at MySpace and ComicSpace, and if you like the show, you can feel free to leave us a review at the iTunes Music Store. Thank you for listening today and making Around Comics your source for comic book news, reviews, and opinions. We'll be back again next Monday for another edition of the Comics Culture Podcast. In the meantime, we'll be everywhere in and around comics. 
Views expressed in the interviews or by a guest of the show are solely those of the individuals expressing them and may not reflect the opinions of Around Comics. Any reproduction, retransmission, or rebroadcast without the express written consult of Around Comics is strictly prohibited. All content presented in this program is the sole property of Around Comics. And this has been an Around Comics production, copyright 2007.